Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives, educational insights, and future workforce predictions to make sure you thrive on your career journey. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. Please remember to subscribe and share this podcast with your community, as we would love all individuals to thrive in their career journey. Mindfulness is just as important for children as it is for adults. Georgie Manning is the founder of Peaceful Kids and shares her amazing insights on all things play, mindfulness and the interrelationship with technology. Georgie presents some important reminders for parents and educators on the steps we can take to help young people develop their own mindfulness practice. We hope you enjoy the episode. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. Georgie Manning, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Cool. I think I stumbled over my words there. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, um, I haven't had, I've, you're the, one of the first people I've spoken to in this um, whole lockdown process. I've been kind of being very insular and sticking to my home yeah. environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> Dan, how are you going, buddy? Yeah, going good. How are you, Georgie? Nice to meet you. I'm nice um, looking meet you forward too. to, yeah, getting into everything mental health with um, youth. It's going to be awesome. Mm, great. <laughs> and so, Georgie, can you share with our listeners what, what you do and um, the business that you've created? So uh, basically I spend my time uh, training other people in a program I've created called Peaceful Kids and a couple other programs as well, but mainly the Peaceful Kids. So um, I work a lot with educators, around about sort of 80%, I suppose, are educators, 20% are therapists or community workers, youth workers and so forth. Um, And I train them in a program called Peaceful Kids, which is a mindfulness and positive psychology program. And it's not a counselling or therapy program. It's a mindfulness and positive psychology sort of educational program that teachers, educators, um, you know, community workers and so on who are working with children can support them in a small group environment, like four to six kids. So kids that need that little, little bit of extra support. So they might be feeling anxious or feeling stressed or going through a difficult time or they're just not very resilient. So I train, basically do train the trainer. So I, I train them to run it, become a Peaceful Kids facilitator, and then they go out and run it in their schools or organisations and so on or community centres and support kids on that ongoing basis. And so like usually like it's sort of run as um, free in a school organisation, which is, you know, important in the work that I do that I, I wanted it to roll out that way that all children can access, all families can access this program, regardless of, you know, whether they can afford it or not because we want all children to be able to get the support, not just the families that can afford, you know, to send their child to, you know, for therapy or whatever it might be. Mm, absolutely. Mm. And, and how did you come out with the, with the idea and the concept? Like how, when did it all start and this notion um, of mindfulness for kids? Well, it's interesting because I tell people this, you know, when we do the training that when, like I didn't set out to create, a program. I didn't sort of have in my mind, hey, I want to create this program. This is what I want to do. And how do I go about it? It just evolved organically. And it was really just through a need. So I was working both as a counsellor private in private practice, as well as working in a school as a wellbeing leader. And in both of those roles, I had just had continual 
you know, need for like these anxious kids that need support, parents that were worried about their kids, teachers that were saying, hey, how do I support these kids? And, you know, there was only like a certain percent of children in the classroom who were being able to be referred off for a psychologist and it's even got worse now in regards to wait like the wait times now are like three or four months in schools apparently so you know you've got children who are needing support and you only get like a small percent that get that one-on-one support so I I thought well you know (laughs) we really need to give these kids some extra skills and um, you know support them and you know, so sort of a, a few elements to it. One is the mindfulness side, which I was just passionate about anyway, which I discovered personally many years ago. And so the program really started with teaching kids mindfulness. And then as things grew sort of over the years, it was more teaching kids around coping strategies and problem solving strategies and sort of all of the fundamentals of being resilient and coping with difficulties. So, um, yeah those it just sort of grew organically so it was just really this this need <laughs> yeah and it just yeah it it just sort of happened <laughs> that's yeah. neat that's super yeah. neat and because because I was Dan and I were just having a bit of a, a chat before the show and and we were kind of reflecting on our own mindfulness practices and it's something that I only really started a couple of years ago mm, yeah um, right and so from your perspective what are some of the building blocks to help kids develop mindfulness practices well oh yeah there's quite a there's quite a lot in that there's a lot of elements so um we can sort of look at the informal and then the formal part so when we think of say children in say a a school setting for example we can teach kids to really develop their attention and focus so that sort of self-regulation of attention so really teaching it one element is teaching it as that real skill and, and time for kids to actually practice it. So not just knowing about it and having a lesson or two here or there about it. It's actually about um, the actual practice of it. So we teach them the how and the why and so on. But then that daily practice, you know, of just like something really simple. And it could be, so for example, noticing the breath or breathing buddies for the little kids where they lie down, they put a soft toy on their belly, you know, and they watch the toy go up one, two, three, as they, as they breathe in and then out one, two, three, as they breathe out, you know, for older kids, they're able to, um, you know, sort of sit maybe for a few more minutes and be able to just feel and notice the breath or body sensations and redirect their attention back every time their mind wanders. So that's kind of one of the skills. And then there's the experience of it of just bringing mindfulness sort of more broadly into your life and noticing, for example, if they've got really strong feelings or, you know, those really big feelings they're finding hard to manage or, um, you know, an upsetting situation where they can bring attitudes of mindfulness like acceptance and non-judgment and curiosity to the difficulty or, you know, self-regulate using mindfulness as well to like, so they're really, you know, uh, feeling, um, you know, really escalated and they are able to stop take those three big deep mindful belly breaths that they've learned and practice so much in the classroom you know and then be able to have that mindful pause before they react so uh yeah there's so many sort of skills in that um does that answer that question <laughs> i think i sort of gone off track a bit <laughs> no no not at all like i think um it definitely does i i think it's just it's that funny notion of um and when i've ever i've been in schools and and i've run workshops myself like it's it's when you go, okay, guys, we're going to have to take a moment to reflect. It's quite, I think it's quite, um, it's unfair, I think, on young people to be like, all right, you got to reflect now. You've got to act mindful yeah. now. And it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, like, yeah, yeah. Give, give us a chance to, to just develop an awareness of it first, I think. Yes, give them time, like time and practice and um, 
like that's why we call it like a practice because it's something that we practice so even as adults we keep on practicing it we don't sort of just arrive at this kind of you know state and then we've we, you know, we've mastered it and then we're all fine you know it's something that we keep on using you know for a variety of reasons um but we it, we keep on practicing it and that's the thing that we've got a role model to kids as well is that it's this ongoing practice you know we're we're like we're always thrown off balance you know we, we think about even just one day we'll be thrown a little bit off balance someone's I don't know angry at us or something didn't go right or something breaks down or you know things didn't go to plan and we're thrown off balance and we need to sort of bring ourselves back to balance you know and be mindful of our environment our experiences our thoughts and our feelings and you know we can sort of navigate that better and being really aware that's the other thing with kids is being really aware of the whole you know stress response and what's happening in the body what's happening when we feel anxious what's happening when that stress response is activated and being able to um firstly it's normalized but then be able to recognize it and then manage it mm. so there's just it's sort of you know it ties into so many different elements of social emotional learning for any like children teens adults really Mm. so it's you know it's on it's ongoing like I think like the more I learn I kind of feel like the less I know sort of thing like because like you just there's just so much to learn about it and you know that lived experience as well around it as as that facilitator and practitioner in each our unfold you know unfolding moments and experiences that we have we have more of that lived experience around mindfulness and how that connects in and that's the same with kids so there's just so much that we can teach them Mm. Mm. and in, in, is there any recommendation that if you've got some, say, parents at home at the moment with COVID and, and homeschooling and the challenges that that brings, like is there any pointers mm. or, or, or things that you would share with parents to, to kind of help them with developing that, that basic process? Or Yeah, so, and again, there's sort of like the two elements of it. So if kids are keen to do like the more formal practice, which you might call mindfulness meditation or you could just call, you know, mindfulness practice, where you sort of had that intention to really, you know, be present and really focus the mind on the present moment. And that could be through, you know, a breath meditation or a body scan or, um, you know, noticing the sensations in the body. Like if, if kids are keen and motivated to do that, then that regular practice is really good. But often that's really hard to start if someone's already feeling distressed or, you know, it's like the first time, you know, we try to teach it and they're already escalated or they're going through a really stressful time. It's like it's really hard to kind of access. So for some people, some people would be like, yeah, this really feels good. So this is where we've got to always be have this as a, a way of living rather than, like I call taking it like a Panadol, like, you know, we've got a headache, so we take a Panadol or we feel stressed mm. that we'll do mindfulness. You know? mm, um, mm. So we can use it as that self-regulation tool. So, you know, ongoing, we want to use it. But look, you know, at the, at the moment with, you know, what's happening and, you know, a lot of kids are really struggling. We're hearing this a lot. They're really struggling. Is even just simply just being mindful and finding something that you really love to do that you can be immersed in. So you sort of got that more informal mindfulness. So whether it's sport or, you know, not that there's, you know, we can do sport at the moment, but, you know, it might be just kicking the, you know, the footy or the basketball mm. or whatever. Um you know, exercise or whether it's a craft activity or, or music or writing or that that thing that, you know, we, we call that flow and we just really engage in the present moment. We're so engaged, everything else just falls away. So we don't think about the past and the future and it just naturally gets us into that state. So finding something that we can do that's our thing. So if kids can have that, 
that's going to help them have those mindfulness experiences, which is going to switch off the stress response and just be present moment focused. So that's kind of more the informal. And, you know, with our younger kids, you know, that's just through play. Mm. You know, the older kids might be connecting with others and, you know, something which is a bit harder at the moment. That's why we're having this challenge, you know, <laughs> when you know they're more social and that's kind of their thing, you know, organised sports and things like that. Um, but if there's something that they can do that, say, off a screen takes them away from, you know, all this other stuff of being immersed in the screens all day long, rest the brain for a while and just sort of be in that play mode, whatever age that is, then, you know, I think that that's really important. I mean, we need that as adults. So, Georgie, how does positive psych link into mindfulness, especially with younger people? Sure. So it's kind of like being able, when we think about positive psychology in the sense of, you know, the science of well-being, the science of happiness, the science of what we know we can do that improves like our well-being um, rather than sort of looking at, well, what's wrong? Sort of how do I fix that? So when we think of mindfulness in that sense of positive psych, it's really the things that we can do on that daily basis and embed into our lives that we know increase our well-being. So we know that when we're present moment focused, we have more joy and enjoyment. We know that our stress response is diminished, our anxiety is diminished. So it's sort of looking at those everyday sort of practices that we can do that help us to really be more present in our life and enjoy our lives more. So we're going to have more positive emotion and less stress. So that's sort of that link in there. So again, we can use it therapeutically as well. Um, and it's just embraced so much now therapeutically. But when we think of it sort of from the positive psych angle, it's about what can we do to improve our overall sort of well-being. And, and we know that research shows that mindfulness does help with that. So, yeah, I mean, the little kids are just naturally mindful. You know, We don't have to teach them, hey, be mindful. They're just so mindful. You know? And then they sort of learn to become unmindful. You know, as we get a bit older and that's when we sort of you know, come in and teach those skills. But even as a parent, we're always role modelling this mindfulness to children, not so much the meditation, but role modelling being present moment focused, um, being aware, have a lot of self-awareness, being, you know, really attentive and curious and, and really present with our child. So we're always role modelling that and then children learn that because a lot of kids are being learnt to be unmindful because we live in this really distracted, completely, constantly distracted world. Yeah, everything's distracted. Every, every few seconds we're distracted by something. From your experience, Georgie, with working with kids, what are some of the, I guess, light bulb moments that they have when they're taught some of these things at the early stages? Uh, light bulb. I think... Yeah, the things that really stand out are sort of knowing kind of that psychoeducation stuff, like knowing what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the body and kind of, and sort of being like, oh, okay, I'm not alone in this feeling that I have, this really strange, weird, yucky feeling, whatever, however they explain that, which might be anxiety, for example. Um, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. You know, mm. when I see that, that's just so beautiful and people should, share that they've they've seen that with the kids they just say that's a really really beautiful moment that just makes it all so worthwhile and that's why we work with kids in small groups because 
they're safe to be able to share and experience and normalise these experiences that they're having that they might not feel as safe in a whole classroom environment. So that that's particularly why kids work in small groups in our programs. But um, yeah, I think it's that and um, and sharing feelings as well, like and being aware, mindful of feelings and knowing they're not the only one that has all those feelings as well. That's a really big one too. You knowing, oh, I'm not the only one who's worrying. I'm not the only one who has these feelings that, of, of what's happening in this situation. And just that in itself is massive to know that you're not the only one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember when I first sort of had my first bout of, say, anxiety when I was maybe 23, half the battle was just being like, oh, this is normal because yep. I was getting anxious about being anxious. Totally. Whereas if I had known, or right. as I slowly knew, yep. oh, this is kind of normal, everyone has a certain level of this and you might just be a bit out of whack at the moment. Yes. It really helped. Like That helped me then get back on track and good. then delve into like some of the practices and tools that that's would be associated good. with mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's pretty well what we do with the kids. We kind of say, hey, okay, so this is part of being a human being, you know, and we have these ups and downs and these are the normal human feelings. These are the norm normal bodily sensations, you know, like our brain switching on to alert ourselves for threat, which is really normal, things like that. Um, and then, okay, so let's be aware of that. You know that you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> um, and now let's look at some skills to help manage that. But, yeah, just like you said, once, once you, it's kind of half the battle knowing what's going on. Otherwise, it can be quite confronting for kids and adults too. And what are some of the challenges that you have, let's say, engaging kids in this stuff? Yeah. Okay. So, it depends sort of what in what context we're working. So one, for example, one of the parts of the programs we run is called Peaceful Classrooms. So this is where we look at implementing mindfulness across the whole class. This is kind of the prevention sort of element. And then the Peaceful Kids is the intervention. And But engagement, I think the difficulty we can have is if those that are running it, they might not really want to run it. So facilitators, okay. And the kids will pick up on that in two seconds. <laughs> they feel it it's a felt sense so if they've got a classroom teacher in front of them for example if we're talking about a school environment and the teacher's not that passionate about it or doesn't understand it or doesn't have that lived experience of it it's just kind of tokenistic for the kids so this is a challenge this is more sort of from my perspective but and I know you know I'm working with school leaders that can be a challenge as well um so, you know, I always say we're better off not teaching it. If you're not into it, don't teach it, <laughs> you know. Um, it's fascinating how kids can just see through that stuff. In <laughs> two seconds. Like, Come yeah. on, mate, you're not, you're not into it. No, Stop. <laughs> that's right, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it really is kind of without sort of sounding too hippie, I suppose, but it really is like a felt sense, you know. It's something, it's sort of like this energetic thing that it, or just sort of that presence of the practitioner Mm. you know that the, the children just kind of I've seen them you know I've seen seen their faces and the way they respond to the presence and the the person really embodying mindfulness and being with the kids and um it just makes such a big difference that when we have that passion and look luckily I'm so lucky in the sense of where how I work is that people want to get trained to do this because they love it and they know for themselves and their life it's been really powerful and they want to help kids as well um but sort of you know talking bigger picture you know sometimes we can get um in schools it can be an attitude we don't have time for this mm. or it's just an add-on without saying that it's actually a huge part of the social emotional learning that we're actually mandated to teach 
from kinder all the way through to year 12 in Australia. It's part of the national curriculum. The word mindfulness is not in the curriculum. However, all of the skills for mindfulness are in there. Yeah. So it's changing though, and it's changing quite rapidly. Like even in five years, there's been a big shift. In 10 years, there's been a huge shift. Mm. So in another five years, I think we're going to see a big difference as well. Yeah. Just on that, Georgie, like, you know, obviously there's been apps that have, have come out like um, the Headspace app and mm. um, I think it's um, Calm and all, all of those types of things. Where, where do you see the, the future of, of mindfulness and this, these types of practices within education mm. settings for, for young people? I think apps are fantastic for, you know, for like, I think like guided audios are fantastic for people, particularly if you're starting out. Um, however, um, I think that you got to find the thing that works for you and what you like, you know what I mean? The voice that you like and so on. Yeah. Um, so I think apps are great. Like if people are trying to practice it, say on their own and like, you know, if kids, it's just so easy and accessible and particularly kids and teens, that's their world. They just click on their phone and it's there. Mm. So if it's more accessible, then that's fantastic. Um, if it's say in a classroom environment, it's always better if you've got someone who's there leading it, I think. You might mix it up with some audios, however that comes through app, whatever website, however, whatever technology that is. It's just better if the person who is their teacher or their or whoever that is, is able to lead that from that lived experience rather than, oh, yeah, I'll just click on this app, tick, we've done our five minutes mm. of mindfulness, but then we'll spend the next five and a half hours running around crazy and stressed <laughs> out, you know? Um, so it's like... And this is, the, this is the challenge with mindfulness is sort of saying that it's not just this thing we do for 5, 10, 20 minutes, whatever the practice is, and then we get off the meditation mat, so to speak, and then we're not mindful, you know. <laughs> so it's about the practice is about then we train the mind, you know, intentionally to be present, training that training of attention and really sitting with what is in the present moment, and then that ripples out into every other moment that we have in our life whether that's in relationship with others, whether that's through a task that we do, whether that's managing a difficulty or managing our emotions, whatever that might be. Because, again, we're in this distracted world. So, you know, it's even more of a challenge. So do you feel like the, that in the school curriculum it will become more and more of a, a practice where, yeah. where classroom teachers will say perhaps every lesson, like, all right, guys, let's take five minutes to refresh or recharge yeah. and tune into your own mindfulness practice or like that type of thing? I think so. I think it'll definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing big changes. And um, like, for example, people who sort of roll out, let's say like you've got a whole school mindfulness sort of program where it's every day in the classroom. I have a lot of teachers that say to me, oh, you know, we, we sort of, you know, as a school we've agreed to have, say, five minutes in the morning. But I can see the difference this is making in the kids that now I'm doing it before, after play, after lunch, because the difference is just so huge that even the kids say, can we have our mindfulness? Because they know that they want to feel good. You know, they know that 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 feeling. Um, so I think that the more that we see how beneficial it is, then the more it sort of, you know, has its own energy and builds and people see, hey, this is really powerful. But um, I don't know, sort of like positivity breeds positivity, doesn't it? Mm. You know, so if you can if you can get that experience and, you know, you're working in a school environment and other teachers are practising it and you see the positiveness that comes from that, then they want to as well. So, but I think a lot of it comes down to leadership, though, in a school. Mm. 
So if you don't have a leader on board, it's not going to be as successful. Mm. I think that's the same with careers education. In, Is it? Yeah. 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 From, from my perspective, like if the leadership of the school isn't behind it, mm. it's very hard to, to get it off the ground. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like a slow burn, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. But um, Danny, I'd love to get your perspective, man, because you obviously trained as a, a, a teacher. Was, was there much of this stuff in uni back a few years back? When you say in uni, like, like Georgie said, I think you learn about, like when you learn to be a teacher, you are aware and you do learn about those skills in the social emotional well-being or mm. social emotional learning. And there's certain theories that back that up. However, in my opinion, the curriculum's cramped. So yeah. maths, English, history, mm. blah, blah, blah. It's more of a priorities list. So yeah. when I was teaching, what, six years ago now, well-being still, like George, you said, it wasn't. Re- it was only just starting to sort of hit the agenda, not even. Mm. And I feel like it's probably happened a lot more over those last five years since I've been out of the classroom. But it's always similar to careers education. It's a wrestle for that priority in the yeah. curriculum. But from my perspective, like I wanted to ask you, Georgie, you know, meditation mindfulness has been around since the, the day of dawn for probably thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Why is it now that is, is it a need that mm-hmm. it's becoming popular or is it just that we've evolved as a human race? And we're kind of like, wait a sec, we're missing something here. Because it's been around for thousands and thousands. It has, years. hasn't it? I think yeah. this is, I think you're writing to uh, to both of those aspects. So, I mean, really, you know, the change was sort of started 40 years ago in John Kabat's in. You know, over in the US, he started to research. He started the research on mindfulness. Mindfulness has been around for thousands of years, like we've said in the Eastern philosophies. But then there was sort of that Western research done on it. And then that research just sort of grew and grew and the interest grew because of that. And then what you've got at the same time happening is this increase of anxiety, depression, all the stress and stress-related physical illnesses and so on, you know, um, that it's like, hey, what are we going to do about this? This is one of our biggest health problems, you know, is stress-related disorders and physical ailments, mental health and so on. And, um, you know, and then I suppose we've got more awareness around you know, parenting has shifted, education shifted, you know, and, and knowing that well-being is really important. So I think it's probably intersected at the time of this research that's come out with mindfulness. But, I mean, that's just my sort of personal thoughts on it. But, um, but there really is a need. And this is why we, I mean, we can't ignore it anymore. I mean, the stats are huge now around mental health for our kids, you know, primary or secondary kids. So it's, we can't ignore it. So what are we going to do to fix it? Well, let's look at evidence-based stuff, you know. (laughs) So, yes, we can do like, you know, send children to psychologists, social workers and so on, and that's awesome. But not every child is going to be able to access that. And like I said before, there's months of wait. So we don't want to work reactively as well. And so we want to work preventively as much as we can as well. So, um, yeah, so I think there's sort of a variety of reasons there, but... I mean, and adults are so interested too. So that's going to filter down to the kids as well. Mm. But yeah, but that's something I probably need to ponder on a little bit more. <laughs> it's mm. a really good question. Yeah. Mm. But I, I, what, what excites me is one is this shift to a focus on what mental well-being, let's call it, and mindfulness and seeing that shift 
it's still only raw, I think, especially yeah, in, yeah. you know, Victoria, Australia, where we, we are. But as it takes off more and more, you know, there's that really good quote from the Dalai Lama, you might know it, that says, if we can teach every kid meditation, we'll make the world a peaceful place in one generation or elude, yeah. um, remove violence in one generation. I yeah, just, I love that. I feel like, you know, if we do bring this in, it will mm. have ripple effects on society as we progress as well. Yes, definitely. And it's going to be interesting to see because this is sort of the generation we're in now where all these kids have been taught that and we need to sort of almost wait like another five, ten years to see for these kids coming out and have them speak about how that's impacted on them and seeing what's actually happening, you know. Is it helping them in the way that they're living their lives? Like are they actually integrating that, generalising that in their day-to-day lives or has it just sort of stayed as this experience at school or is it something that they've, we've planted seeds with? And I, mean, I, and I think it definitely, I, I believe, and I I'm, look, I'm an optimistic person, but I do believe that we are planting these great seeds for the kids when we're doing this. Um, so and I think it is making a really big difference but yeah we're we're going to have to see later on we know the immediate effects now and how it helps but it's really going to be interesting when we look at generational you know down the track and how that's changed because it's yeah and I'm assuming it's going to be really positive (laughs) Mm, but I think as well the challenges in my opinion will become greater in regards to a distracted world an online world Mm. so it's going to have to match it otherwise it's going to be hard to be mentally well really well I think we really don't have a choice anymore for those of us whether we're a parent whether educator counsel person in a in a you know position of some sort of influence on children we actually don't have a choice we have to be teaching this to children because you know, when we think about, and I often ask teachers this and I say, what is the, the one skill that you really want the kids to leave, say, by the time they leave year six or by the time they leave year 12? You know, and it, it always comes back to something around well-being. And it, then, it, then it comes down to and we go into a bit more around being able to manage the stress in life. You know, because we can have all these other good things in place, but if we're feeling stressed out and we're not managing and we're, you know, we're not feeling good, then nothing else really works. So, you know, the mental health has to come first. So um, it's we don't really have a choice to teach this. Like it, we have to be, I think we have responsibility to. Mm. Mm. And it's similar to like... Um like with the mental health, being able to self-manage yourself. And we always talk about one of the big peers of career counselling is being able to self-manage your own career. But to self-manage your own life, that mm. then has flow-on effects in your relationships, in your, right. your work, Absolutely. everything. So it, it really is a foundation. It is. Yeah. Your well-being is the foundation of all of it. It affects everything. You know, we know how when we roll up to work or whether we're motivated to do something different in our life, all of that comes from how we're feeling, you know, in, in, our, in our levels of well-being and the relationships that we form and, and can, you know, keep those healthy relationships that we know are that a real buffer, you know, against, you know, um, mental illness and so on. So uh, it flows on to everything. Yeah, and this is where it's really important to have these discussions, particularly with educators, to see that it's not this separate thing. Mm. It's not like this kind of fad thing. It's This is about, you know, it's about how kids learn as well. We can't learn unless we're focused and we're attentive. Mm. We can't learn if we've got the stress response activated, if we're feeling anxious, if we're caught up in our worry thoughts, we can't learn. Georgie, yeah. from just on the, the, the sheer numbers of, 
of youth and, and kids who are who are in this this struggling point of of mental health and anxiety. I've always been a firm believer that that's that's been directly correlated with like the increase of technology and and social media and, mm. and smart devices and that type of stuff. I mm. We run a workshop around habits in, in schools and we get kids to reflect on how much screen time they have on their, their phone. Right. And it's, it's mind-blowing how much some time, like how much how many hours kids clock up. Like from, from your perspective, do you mm. think that that's like a direct relationship with, with the mindfulness piece with the management of technology or do you think it's, yeah, just love to get yeah. your... Well, I think um, it's one of the pieces of the puzzle in the sense that if we're constantly distracted or like we're constantly on a, on a screen, then depending where our, our focus is, that we're not doing other stuff that we know nourishes us. So you know, there's sort of two elements. One is then there's, you know, more research coming out now around the effects of screen time on the brain. And we know that certain types of screen time, for example, gaming and so on, can affect the, you know, the frontal lobes or prefrontal cortex and damage it as much as hard drugs like cocaine. So we can see damage in the brain. Now, if for too much screen time, but when I sort of work with parents, I talk more around not so much trying to demonise screen time because I just don't find that that actually works because we have to kind of have that inner motivation. <laughs> um, but well, parents have to set limits, definitely. But the thing is that, if we're off a screen, then we're doing something that's going to rest the brain usually. And when we rest the brain, then we don't get that buildup of the stress response, that constant cortisol happening in the brain, in our body. You know? It's like we're not having a break from it. So like to kind of summarise, you know, I'm, I know I'm putting things really simplistically, but there just isn't enough time for both adults and kids to just have a break. It's just constant, constant, constant. And a lot of that is that, you know, digital world. Now, if we don't have a break, we know how we feel. We don't feel good. We all need that break. And it's kind of like this really essential and basic thing like play for kids. It's sort of like gone out the window. Mm. <laughs> Let's just jam in all of this extracurricular stuff and, you know, with this real focus on this, you know, success and achievement mm. and out there and, you know, um, you know, not present moment focused and then lets miss out on one of the most essential things that we need. And teenagers need this too. And I know it looks different to to primary age kids but they just need to play Mm. with no pressure no outcome based on it just play Mm. and obviously we can't do that 24 hours a day but we need to have some chunks of that Mm. so i think that technology has taken that away so our play becomes technology okay i'm a child i'm bored i'll just pick Mm. up the ipad i'm a teenager i'm bored (laughs) i'll pick up the xbox or yeah jump on social media yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, look, there just isn't really enough research around now, but it, it has to correlate, though. Like, just common sense shows that it has to correlate, doesn't it? I think there are a variety of reasons, but... And I did see a graph once. I can't remember where it was from, though. Um, when smartphones came in and, the, and then the increase in anxiety and it all happened mm. around about the same time when you looked at the graph. Mm. <laughs> So there's, so, there's something happening there. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how you were saying too, like with, with kids, like, you know, the try and jam as much as you can. And you see kids who do like all the extracurricular activities outside mm-hmm. of school and they've just got a loaded schedule and then they enter the workforce and it's like, oh, you've got to hustle, hustle, hustle. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the same yeah, performance, process. performance. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, it's not until I think, and this is the case for me, like it wasn't until like I actually kind of crossed that point of going like far out, I'm burnt out. I need to yeah. do something different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the need for it is, is huge. It's huge. And that's often when you see people make changes and that's often as adults when we do make those big changes in our life when it sort of gets to the breaking point and we say, well, something has to change. This is not working. <laughs> you know? And it doesn't matter who tells us what needs to change and who tells us what we need to practice mindfulness or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter because yeah. change comes internally, right? So um, it's when we, whatever that motivating factor is, you know, whether it's I can't be the way that I'm living anymore or whether it's I want something different, I want it to be this way. Um, so totally, that's when a lot of people do make those changes, yeah. But this is the beautiful thing around mindfulness is it connects us to our values, like what's important. How do, how do we really want to live our lives? Because we can just be on autopilot and we're just in this sort of rat race. Mm. And this is also as parents that we can have that time to reflect what is it that I want for my child, and sometimes making those really hard, hard decisions and going out on your own and saying, okay, I'm going to be one of the only families that doesn't allow my child to have gaming or whatever it might be. <laughs> I'm going to be unpopular. But you know what? At some point, someone has to make these decisions. You know, these can't be decisions that children make. As parents, we're the caregivers. We have to make those decisions and say, I care about your well-being. I can't have your gaming for six hours a day. So... You know, and I know it's unpopular to say that because it's kind of mm. like, you know, a parent's like, oh, no, that's too hard. But it kind of it needs to be spoken about at some point. Mm. I think it's everything in moderation, though, as well, because there is some mm. positives to gaming. And, I mean, yeah. there's research on that, too, but it's all about the time and the, totally. the management of that. Because I, I – Totally. I, yeah, I find from myself, I would almost say the, one of the biggest pillars for my own mental health would be tech management and screen management now yeah. and time on like all right four different emails work this work mm. accounts social yeah. media i can't even name them all right yeah. you know and then everyone's pinging your notifications for everything <laughs> whether you've bought something online you've got to do a survey for something it's it's ridiculous yes, and it like is. you can I check my phone, I think. I'm only, I think my screen time average is four to six hours a day. Mm-hmm. But I check it like 250 times just throughout the day or, you know, mm. that, that's my stats. And it's how many times do you want to leave the moment in one day? That's a lot, isn't it? That's right. That's right. So you're saying that you're motivated to change then, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I try, like at least I, I keep an eye, eye on it. Yeah, you're and aware. I'll be like, oh, I should cut back to like 100 times a day. Like, yeah, you're aware. Or I try to put my phone in my room for two hours. Yeah. So I'm not getting the vibrate or the or I turn all my notifications off. But that's all screen management, isn't it? Yeah. And it's that intention. So it's setting that it's having the awareness and then we set the intention, which might be I might just put my phone away for a while. So we've got that intention rather again being on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same, like I said before, I don't want to demonize screen time and I'm sort of careful when I talk about that with parents, but because that's their child's world, but everything is in balance and I know it's corny, mm. but it is though. It really mm. is in balance because we can't say screen time's bad because the kids are going to be on it. So let's mm. just manage the time that they're on it. Mm. We're recording these podcasts on a screen and like we probably all work right. today for eight hours on a screen. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And there's, there's some real positives in it. Hey, So there's some real positives with it. So it's about balance. So it's and being aware of that and just building that balance in definitely. Mm. Can I ask you, Georgie, this is one of my favourite words and it's actually one of my values, play. 
Yeah. And I'm a 34-year-old adult, but, geez, I love play. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Naturally. But, like, and obviously kids love play and stuff. But, like, what's can you give us some of the insights around why it is so good and what the Mm. connection is to learning and the connection is to well-being and stuff like that just from play? Yeah. So when we're playing, there's a number of things. But one of them is we're curious when we're playful. So when we when we play, think about when you're in that playful mode, okay? So when you're in playful mode, you're not worrying about the past, are you? You're not sort of thinking ahead to the future. Oh, I've got this meeting. I hope that goes okay. And what's going to you know happen there? And I hope next week's thing works out. When we're playing, and just think of us as adults. So what well, I'm going to ask you, Dan, what do you do to play? I just love playing with people. Like I live with okay. my brother. I'll like yep. muck around with him or yep. try to crack <laughs> jokes and muck okay. around yep. and. Yeah. Yeah. So your play, so you know, it yeah, spontaneous and it's sort of people oriented. So when you're in that mode, are you feeling pretty good? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And usually that's because we're present moment. Okay. So we're not thinking about this other stuff because when we think about past and future, often it it elicits a negative emotion. So research shows that it doesn't mean that past and future is bad. It's just what the brain does. It likes to, you know, think about the past so that we don't repeat that mistake or whatever. It likes to predict in the future to keep ourselves safe and so on. But that's exhausting for the brain, okay, So because our brain's not supposed to be operating, thinking about this all day long. It's only, you know, not, it's exhausting basically. So play just gives us a rest, okay, and it makes us curious. And when we're curious, we create and we're in wonder and awe and we laugh and, when we're curious, we're usually in that sort of band with the, the positive emotions rather than the negative, not good or bad, but we're normally in that positive. And we know like all the effects, you know, it even affects right down to our cells and our immune system. Like, it's like our immune system is sort of like buzzing with, you know, vitality when we're in the present moment. You know? <laughs> um, also, like when we think about with kids, with play, they're developing all their social emotional skills you know so we've got all that sort of skill side happening there you know and with younger kids they're learning about the world or even teens are as well but they're learning about how the world works you know through their play so they're they're learning about about themselves and developing but if we sort of even put that aside which is massive from a mental health perspective play just rests the brain so it switches on our rest and digest system our parasympathetic nervous system where that's kind of like the homeostatus for the body and the brain where the body works but it's most functional best you know and it um that's when we feel the best so when we're feeling good we get those boosts of good hormones we decrease the stress hormones and you know we can also have wonderful connections with others and then, you know, have that beautiful feeling of connection and fun and, you know, there's, it just Laughter. sort of goes on and on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is the stuff that's missing at the moment with lockdown. Hey, so this is why some people are suffering. Mm. Mm. Thanks for that. Yeah. So play is good. And I think that as adults, and I like to encourage this in the work that I do is find the thing that is your play. Don't stop playing because you're an adult. Mm. You know, don't mm. wait till your to-do list is done to play because mm. your to-do list is never going to be done. It's never going to be done. Mm. So find that thing that's your play. Mm. Yeah, definitely, whether it's stand-up paddleboarding, whether it's whatever it is, find your play, mm. cracking jokes, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But you play at your top of your to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it's true, though. You almost like need to have that time to reflect on it and almost like write it down and go, yeah, that's my thing that I really love to do and go and do that. Yeah. Georgie, 
thank you so much for coming on our show. How um last two questions. Yeah. Um any books or documentaries or resources that you would recommend um, mm. that you found really beneficial? Um oh gosh, there's so many. Um look, I really love John Cabot Zinn's work. Um so because being sort of the founder of the research around mindfulness is just you know, absolutely brilliant to read. Um, something really that personally I really resonate with and I find is just really the heart of mindfulness is uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. He's written over 100 books on mindfulness and his work's just really, really beautiful for both kids and adults. Ooh. So it's just like it's one of those things where, you know, when you read a book and you read something and you're like, oh, this just feels so good when you read it. to me. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, this is just so rash, like everything that you read. Um, so I'd probably recommend those too. As far as actually, um, and someone else also, Dr. Craig Hassett um, from Monash University, he's brilliant. So he does a lot of work in the mindfulness space and he works with, you know, in the, the medical faculty and they all learn mindfulness there at Monash University. So they've sort of become the first mindful university really, which is amazing. Um, so his work as well, and he's got books and things like that as well. So yeah, probably those three are probably my top three. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, people listening who, who might be interested in getting involved with the peaceful kids program, how mm. can they reach out to you and find out more? You can just go on the website, so just peacefulkids.com.au and you can see there's facilitator training there, there's parent resources, school support, things like that. So, um, yeah, the range of range of things on there if you, if you want to sort of check that out. <laughs> yeah, nice one. And very last yeah. question, how do you play? Like have you got a, a specific activity that you go to to Yeah, to well, play? a couple of things. Well, doing something that's sort of art or craft sort of thing or something arty I love, but also most recently in the last sort of year I've started, I've taken up kayaking, so on the river so I had that yesterday had a bit of play on the river yesterday <laughs> it was beautiful um yeah so just being in nature and you know something very calming and yeah nature walking kayaking that sort of thing that's my play yeah, yeah but awesome. um yeah and then you know having that intention to do it. it's like yep I'm going to do that rather than oh it could be easier not to do or whatever it's just like yeah. no I'm going to do it because I know it makes me feel good so yeah that's my play at the moment <laughs> Yeah, love it, and love it. Final one from me, Georgie, is um, you've really made me fascinated. So I kind of like Titch Nit Han's work as well, but beautiful. You saying that kids relate to it is that because it's quite simple? He's also got some books and resources that are directed specifically to young children. Um, yeah, so he's got some gorgeous books. And wow. Yeah, so there's some meditative activities and 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 again, yeah, he he. Is quite simple in one sense, but it's also quite profound. So the way mm. that he sort of writes and speaks can sound sort of simplistic. And then you think about it and you think, no, that's just actually really quite profound. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, some, some of the stuff that is so sort of simple, which is just, for example, being in nature and just really being having the gratitude around nature is so simple but then also powerful. So he works with kids around things like that. Mm. And kids being in nature like I call it nature deficit disorder we haven't got kids connected to nature enough mm. so that is powerful in itself just getting kids out in nature you know building cubbing houses you know um you know climbing trees playing in puddles all of those sorts of things um you know I saw some kids yesterday when I was kayaking 
and they were just rolling down this hill, rolling and rolling and rolling, you know, and then they did it again, they rolled and rolled and rolling. And I was like watching, I think it was like 20 minutes and they skipped on rolling up and down this hill. And I'm just like, that right there is what kids need. You know, I was thinking to myself, you know, they're in nature, they're just like, they're not doing it. They're only doing it just for the sheer sake of doing it. Yeah. No other reason, you know. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Mm. All right, well, listeners, you heard it first from Georgie. Go down and, and roll down a hill and reconnect with your inner yeah, child. Yeah, us adults need to do that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Georgie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been good to talk to you both. And, yeah, best wishes for, with your projects that you're both working on. It sounds great. Thank thanks, you. Georgie. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you could please leave a review or share this episode with someone who is on the journey of developing a meaningful career, we would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, look after yourself and the people around you.